Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Wednesday, September 10th, 2014. Like we normally do on Wednesday, today will be our light episode. We're getting close to being finished with our series with Pastor Ron Hodel on the book of 1 Corinthians. I think we have this week and next week. That's all that's available at the moment. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and uh, see if what's being taught actually squares with what God's Word says in context. Now, part of the job of being a good Berean, you know, somebody who has discernment as to what it is that God's Word teaches, what we are to believe, teach, confess, and defend, well, that requires us to do the mundane task. And that, I think, is kind of a weird way of putting it. Uh, we live in a world where people are so distracted. I mean, if you think about it, I mean... Why do we even need laws to tell people to not text while driving? We we live in a world full of distractions. And so uh, people in the United States and abroad, uh, in the technological society that we have, I mean, they're distracted by this, distracted by that, and distracted by the other thing, and are attracted to bright, shiny, flashy, now kind of things. But the reality of, the, of um, good biblical study is is that Good biblical study is done by slowing down, stopping, focusing, slowly plodding through what God's Word says. There's nothing glamorous about it, but this is how we learn the Bible, is actually by sitting and listening to a pastor and a preacher and ex explain the text to us as he walks through the entire thing. That's the idea. So we've been listening to a series of lectures by uh, Pastor Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. He's been working his way through the book of 1 Corinthians. We are up to the next installment of uh, our series. And so with that, we'll get right to it. Here is Pastor Ron Hodel. I want to start off, I'm going to read through uh, the first part of chapter 10, uh, uh, verses 1 through 22. And uh, we covered uh, 1 through 13 last time, but, but just reading it will put things into context. Uh, he's been warning uh, against idolatry here. Um, chapter 10, verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we should not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay. Um, back in chapter 8, Paul uh, introduced his discussion about eating meat that had been dedicated to idols. And in chapter 8... Paul seems pretty okay with eating it. Um, just, just uh, he, he ends that, that uh, little section there. Um, let me just, he ends that section uh, uh, with the words, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we eat, and no better if we do. Uh, uh, it's just meat. I mean, there's no real idol. There's nothing behind it, really. Um, that's what he says. Um, and so in chapter 8, it seems like Paul uh, tolerates the knowledge of Christians eating at idol temples because idols are nothing and meat is, is meat. Okay. But now, in chapter 10, he seems to have reversed course. In chapter 10, he seems to be completely and totally against it. Um, he equates eating meat that's been dedicated to idols uh, at, at, with blasphemy. In fact, he considers eating it a betrayal of what's going on in the Lord's Supper when you go to the Lord's Supper. Um, so he has two very different points of view. And uh, the question, of course, then is why? Now, some people say that these two different points of view are because these two chapters are parts of two different letters that Paul wrote. And whoever combined, com combined these two letters into what we know as 1 Corinthians, they just pulled something from one letter and they pulled something from another, stuck it in there, kind of redacted it, and, and here we have it. Um, there's really no evidence that that kind of thing happened. I think what's really going on is there is a difference in emphasis that Paul is making. In chapter 8, in chapter 8, Paul is primarily concerned with how eating at an idol's temple is going to hurt a weaker brother. That's his point. Um, uh, uh, so by your knowledge, this weak person has destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. He's very concerned about the weaker brother and your eating meat uh, in his presence. In chapter 10, he takes a different path. And he... Is, and, and he uh, his concern is how, how flirting with idols by eating at idols' temples and eating that meat, uh, and, and instead of fleeing from it all, just might harm you. So in chapter 8, he's concerned about your brother. In chapter 10, he's concerned about you. And he's just finished warning, or at least uh, uh, warning the Corinthians uh, not to follow in the footsteps of disobedient Israel, which is why I read that first section of, of chapter 10. Very concerned that you don't follow in the footsteps of disobedient Israel. All right. 
So now he returns to this whole idol meat eating issue. And he says in verse 14, therefore, or so then, and he calls them my beloved ones. Not you stupid idiots, but my beloved ones. Flee from idolatry. Not dabble in it every once in a while, you know, but flee from it because it can destroy you. That's what he's getting at. Um, Now, he's said this kind of thing before. In chapter 5, he warned the Corinthians not to have anything to do with an idolatrous brother. Um, And it's serious business because in chapter 6, he says, idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's serious business. Um, So instead of taking your chances on presuming that you are strong enough to deal with all of this, quit goofing around with sin. Flee from it. In the same way that you flee from sexual immorality that he talked about in chapter 6. Flee from idolatry. Flee from sin. Um, Now, you can imagine that the, 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 the wise, strong, intelligent, knowledgeable Corinthians were eating this idle meat, and they probably thought that they were doing the sensible thing. I mean, an idol is nothing, and meat is meat, right? That's true. Um, and, and we must not give way to the tyranny of the weak, because if we do that, we will put ourselves under the law again, and Christ does not want us under the law again. So they have a, you know, they, they think they're doing the sensible thing. Um, but Paul says, if you're sensible, and you are, your logic is sound, then you should be able to judge the sensibleness of what I'm saying and understand the dangers that are there for you when it comes to dabbling in things idolatrous. Okay, I want to read 14 and 15 just one more time. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I, what I say. Um, and from here on, Paul's going to be warning that reclining at the table of an idol um, is, is idolatry. And to, to, to start talking about this, he, he begins his argument with, with two questions. Um, and the questions relate to, or at least they're based on, the words of institution uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Uh, He shares that with us in the next chapter when he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Um, so Paul, Paul asks these questions. He says, verse 16, chapter 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not these who eat, those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that, not, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall, uh, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So this is Paul's argument. Um, if you hold that you are participating or you are communing or you are sharing in or that you are receiving the very body and blood of Jesus in the Lord's Supper, you better not also participate or commune at an idol meal because, in fact, that is participating with demons. 
Now, on the other hand, he doesn't, he doesn't say it, but it's kind of implied. If you're not sharing in the body and the blood of Jesus, the Lord's Supper, and if this is nothing but a remembrance meal, if there's nothing about the Lord's Supper but bread and wine, um, then you're kind of free to eat meat set, uh, uh, dedicated to idols because meat is meat and idols are nothing. And by eating at the Lord's table, you're not participating with the Lord. And by eating at idols meals, then you really wouldn't be participating with idols. But Paul contends that participating or communing with Jesus at the Lord's Supper, uh, it's absolutely wrong then if, that, if you're doing that, then to at the same time participate with demons at their table. Um, He says, the cup of blessing, verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless. Um, There Paul is referring to the third cup that is shared around at the Passover meal. I don't know if you've ever been to a like a a Passover Seder or or something like that. but, But in a Passover Seder, Passover meal, there are four cups that get shared around the table during the course of the meal. Four cups of wine, okay? And uh, each cup has a name, and it's named after God promising to carry Israel out of Egypt and make them his people. And uh, what would happen is, is after the cup uh, is blessed, then uh, the father family drinks some, and it goes all the way around the table until it comes back to the father, and it's empty. All right? And then you do that four times throughout the course of the entire meal. Um, there, to... I hope this isn't crass or anything, but it's kind of like very reverent toasts to God. The first one is the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out of Egypt. Okay? And it's a toast to God in a sense. Understand me correctly. And then there's the cup of deliverance. I will deliver you from Egypt's army. The third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with my power. Um, And this is the cup that is consumed after the supper. Right? And then finally, there's a cup of restoration. I will make you my people. Right? So it's the third cup, the blessing cup, the cup of redemption um, that, that Paul talks about here, uh, the cup of blessing that we bless. Um, and, and it's this cup that our Lord Jesus used when he consecrated the elements um, and instituted the Lord's Supper. I don't know if you look at the Gospel of, of Luke. Uh, is it Luke? Um, you notice, well... Just from from Luke here, it says, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. All right. Um, in in the gospel of Luke, you actually find uh, recorded two different cups to get shared. You know, in Matthew, uh, he took bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And then the cup, uh, he gave it to the disciples. But in Luke, you get a cup and then you get bread and then you get a cup again. You say, whoa, whoa, what is that? What's going on there? He said, well, in reality, Luke forgot two other cups. Didn't forget them. He knew. Uh, There was one that came before the one he mentioned and one that comes after the one he mentioned, the blessing cup. Um, So uh, there's actually four cups. But it's that third cup that our Lord used when he instituted the Lord's Supper. It's the Eucharistic cup, the cup of thanksgiving, the cup we're thankful for. Sometimes uh, communion is called the Eucharist, um, the thanksgiving, the great thanksgiving. Um, because in it we receive the blood of Christ, and in it we are blessed. All right. So the body of Christ and the bread participate, or they commune with one another. They share something with one another. The bread and the body of Christ, they commune. And the blood of Christ and the cup participate or commune with one another. They share something with one, one another. Okay? Um, in, with, and under the bread and wine is the body and the blood of Christ. The, the, the bread, in, in the bread and the, and the body sharing, the cup, the wine sharing together. And then, of course, um, we communing with not just a bread and a cup, but actually with the body and the blood of Jesus. Okay? Um, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? 
Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So when we participate in that communion, which means we're sharing with someone in something, we share in or commune with the body and the blood of Christ. It's got to be there to be able to share with it. If it's not there, you don't share with it. Um, But it's there. Um, So not only do we share in a vertical way with our Lord Jesus Christ, but we who are many are are one, one body. We who are many are one body. So likewise, there's not only a sharing vertically with me and God, but Christianity is always something about more than just me and Jesus. It's about me and my brothers and sisters in Christ as well. There's a horizontal sharing that takes place at the Lord's table as well. So we all uh, believe in the same God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, and we share the same beliefs one with another. Um, So in like verse 15, like many grains of wheat become one loaf and many grapes become one wine. So the many Christians become the one body of Christ. Verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Consider the people of Israel. That's Israel according to the flesh. That's that's, uh, the physical nation of Israel. Consider them. Not the spiritual Israel. Not the, not the, the, the holy Christian or the holy Catholic church. The one holy Catholic Christian apostolic church. Um, what he's getting at here is when the priests, when the, when the Levites and the people uh, consume the portion, their, their portions of the sacrificed animals at the, at the tabernacle first and then later on at the temple, they've entered into a relationship with all that that altar represents. Um, the altar was the place where God communed with his people. It's the place where God and Israel were restored one to another. It's where God makes his peace with Israel. Okay. And it's where Israel receives the divine gifts of forgiveness. So in a very real sense, the divine service was that service that took place at the tabernacle every single day. And so Paul Paul here repeats what, what, what uh, Jesus says. Let me read from Matthew 23, verse 16 and following. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. Uh, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven uh, swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. In other words, you can't separate the connection between the sanctified gifts on the altar and the altar itself and the temple and the throne of God and the one seated on the throne. It's all together. Um, They're all connected. They all participate one with another. They're all in communion one with another. And what Paul says is this is also true of what's going on with the idols and their, quote, gods as well. So when a, when a wise, knowledgeable Corinthian Christian eats at an idol temple, they're having connections or having communion with the evil spirits. So to participate in a meal, whether it's an idol meal or the Lord's Supper, is to invite either a demon or the Lord into your life. And now Paul wants to make sure that he's not misunderstood. He, he says, um, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. The meat is only meat. 
The problem is what the meat is participating with. And it's connected to that which is evil. And just like God ruled out any compromising mix between the the children of Israel and all those other Canaanite gods who were surrounding them, um, Paul does the same thing here. The faith of the church, like the faith of, of ancient Israel, is radically exclusive. You can't have an altar here and then worship at a bunch of other altars on your way to the high altar up there. It's one or the other. All right? Uh, Jesus said you can't, you can't worship um, God and mammon. Right? Uh, it's one or the other. Um, so an unholy communion with demons is incompatible with their communion in Christ's body and blood. Now, if Christ's body and blood isn't there, then it's not a big deal. But if his body and blood is present in with and under that bread and wine for us to eat and drink for our forgiveness, then it is a real big deal indeed because God and demons don't go together well. All right, we are going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, the balance of today's lesson on the book of 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church, Capistrano Beach, California. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We will be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Thank you for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. You out there! Want to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer? Shut up! Definitely sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. 
Hang himself. Hang himself. Hang himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide. What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death. What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture. Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention, and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like His. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, uh, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor doesn't engage in in-depth, exegetical study of God's Word, you know, working through books and stuff like that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, and you can partner with us. That's right, it's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it, to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send that to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support because we cannot absolutely cannot do what we are doing here without it all right here is the balance of today's lesson from pastor ron hodel of faith lutheran church in capistrano beach california on the book of first corinthians here we go Verse 21, you cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In other words, you can't do it at the same time. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So there Paul calls the Lord's supper the Lord's table. Okay, Malachi does the same thing. He regards the altar as the table of the Lord. And Paul's point is to combine Christian worship with any form of idolatry is foolishness. And it's dangerous too. It might provoke the Lord to anger. And you really don't want the Almighty angry at you. Okay? Um, so uh, that's where, where he goes with that. Um, so don't go to meals at temples of idols because you're participating with a demon there. And you can't do that and also come to the Lord's Supper and participate with the Lord there. Um, they're antithetical. Right. Any, um, 
thing that people want to say. Sure. Do we, just a second. I think we're going to find a microphone there. And Is there a passage in Scripture somewhere where Paul's speaking to the fact that they were misusing um, communion and some of them were weak and even dying because of it? And it, he's talking spiritually weak, spiritually dead. I can't seem to find it. In, it's in chapter 11. Okay. We'll, we'll get to it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's It's the... <laughs> It's kind of interesting to think that uh, the Lord's Supper has a warning label attached to it. Not not uh, to protect you. It's not a warning label so that uh, he wants you to keep away from it. It's a warning label to protect you. Just you got warning labels on your prescription bottles. Don't misuse this. It's dangerous to you if you do that. Same with the Lord's Supper. Don't misuse this. I want you to use it. I want you to use it rightly. But please don't misuse it. It's damaging. Yeah. I was just going to say, was this part of their misusing it? Is he setting this up for chapter 11? Oh, gee. Is he really? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's got a lot of things he's got to say about this. Um, he's, he's now opening the can of worms. Okay? That's what he's doing here. He's going to be start opening up a big can of worms. Jennifer. Of going back to the um, the food sacrifice to the demons or the the pagans uh-huh. offerings is would is there something that you could consider a kind of a parallel nowadays because we don't really do that same thing in that same way would is there something you could consider a parallel? Um, maybe the closest we get to it is syncretistic worship where, um, we're all worshiping the same gods. You know, we're all worshiping the same God, in many different forms. Um, some, some maybe, maybe similar way of, of doing that. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. There's nothing behind this particular style of worship or this particular, uh, theology because it all, it all goes to the same place anyway. Maybe maybe something there. Yeah. <coughs> All right. Um, let's go uh, twenty three through thirty. Um. Yeah, okay. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of, the, of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I participate with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? All right. So there's some other matters uh, that he needs to deal with when it comes to idle food. Um, He has forbidden reclining at temples and eating uh, idle meat that has been uh, used in worship and worshiping demons at those at those feasts, but there are some other related things that need to be talked about that they need some guidance on. Okay, and you can imagine. Um, okay, so Saint Paul, um, we go to the market, and there's meat for sale. What are we supposed to do there? What do we What do we buy? Can we buy the meat? Do we need to raise our own cows or what? And then. The other question is, what if my non-Christian friend, whom I have built a relationship with, and I'm 
you know, sharing Christ with them. What if they invite me over for dinner and there's meat on the plate? What do I do? Should I eat it? Should I not eat it? What do I do? Right. Um, and so Paul's comments on this uh, uh, kind of revolve around the word, the words build up. Um, he did this before in chapter eight. Uh, uh, the building up of the church happens when one seeks the advantage of the other and not yourself, okay? So eating at an idol temple doesn't build anyone up. In fact, it is a serious stumbling block to the, the weak. He says that in chapter 10, and, or in chapter 8, and in chapter 10, it's nothing less than idolatry, just like Israel's rebellion. And so it does nothing to build anyone up, but simply tears everyone down. So don't do it the idol temples and that kind of thing. But uh, on these other issues, um, when I'm shopping for food at the market, um, uh, how should I pick and choose meat? What if it's been offered to idols? And Paul's answer is simply straightforward. He says, eat without asking any questions. La, 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 la. <laughs> um, uh, what he's getting at in a sense is Christians were very different uh, than Jews. Um, the Jews had to investigate the food first. Has it been prepared properly? Was it killed properly? Is it kosher? Does it meet all the dietary rules? Um, if you're a good Orthodox Jew and someone invites you over to dinner and you're really serious about this business, you go over to dinner and guess what you carry along? The dinner that you prepared that you're going to eat. Sorry, Connie, I know you're a good cook, but I brought my own. Thank you very much. And I don't know how kosher you are, see? I'm not sure, but I know this, I know this one. I'm, uh, all right? Um, but Christians could eat with a clear conscience because they know that there are no such thing as idols. There's only one God. Everything has been created by God. Um, Jesus had the same attitude, Paul would say. He proclaimed all foods to be clean. In chapter 7 of Mark, Jesus says, since it enters uh, not his heart but his stomach and is expelled, thus thus he declared all foods clean. All right? Um, so uh, in, in, in Mark... Mark tells us Jesus declared all foods clean. And Paul uh, would say the same thing to the Romans. Um, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. And to the Galatians, he says, uh, talking about Cephas or Peter, he says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, before the really Jewish guys came over, um, he was eating with Gentiles, absolutely enjoying those cheeseburgers with bacon on the top. All right. It was wonderful. But when the men from James came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. I don't want cheeseburgers. Um, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right. So Paul, and, and then finally, what Paul does is he grounds his counsel on the words of the Psalms. Uh, the, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So he, he quotes he quotes the Psalms, and uh, and he and he he says to Timothy the same thing a little bit later on. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So because everything from the Lord is good, all the food at the market can be eaten by Christians without offending his conscience, and the same is true. Uh, if you're eating at someone else's house, which of course is very contrary to an Orthodox Jew who would bring his own food to your dinner table. Um, so the Christian is totally free from the Old Testament ceremonial law and the Jewish tradition. I'll talk about the word tradition in a little bit. Um, but then the situation changes if someone points out that this food has been sacrificed to idols. 
Then Paul says, for the sake of that person, not for yourself, but for the sake of that person and their conscience, the Christian should refrain from eating it. Especially uh, if the person pointing it out is a weak Christian. And Paul's principle behind the whole thing is that he's going to do everything in his power uh, to save as many as possible. That's going to govern his decision. He'll do nothing to tarnish uh, the gospel message in anyone's mind. That's, that's paramount for him. But Paul makes it clear um, his concern isn't so much for his own conscience, um, but, but, uh, but for, for the weaker person's conscience. Um, he simply says, receive food with thanksgiving, recognizing that it is a wonderful gift that comes to you from God. Now, if somebody's going to make a point about it, then, well, then you've got to make a point. But if they're not going to make a point, just eat and enjoy. Okay? Any uh, comments on, on that section? Pretty simple. Inviting people over for hamburgers, cheeseburgers. Along the line of application today, I'm thinking of two points, um, and I, I've gone through this uh, in my life, trying to be um, true to my beliefs. I thought, oh, I shouldn't um, buy certain products or buy, uh, shop at certain stores and so forth because of the views that the owners have expressed. But I realized long ago that I could buy nothing if I were to go by that criterion because there are so many people involved in producing a product, I'd have to scrutinize everybody who was involved in producing the product before I could use it or buy it. And if you have a comment on that. And then um, the second point is with the political correct, politically correct speech we have today, that my speech should not be condemned or proscribed because somebody is offended by my beliefs or what I what my statements might be. We're so cowardized sometimes. Well, um, yeah, I, the food is is made holy by 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 uh, word of God and prayer. Paul says not by you making sure that everything uh, has passed your uh, jots and tittles and crossing of I's and dotting of T's or something. That's why I wasn't good with English. I wasn't good with math either. It was really bad. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, you receive it with thanksgiving. All right. Um, now, if somebody's going to make a point, you know, that that uh, portion of this funds is going to go to the abortion of children, well, okay, you want to make a point about that? Then I'm going to make a point and not buy it. Um, in terms of politically correct speech, I think it's, I think our job is to, to share the gospel in a winsome way, as winsome as possible. And, and I want to do something. I'm not going I, to. There's two things I don't want to do. I don't want to water the gospel down, number one, uh, uh, because that would not be fair to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then I also want to gain a, a hearing. Um, and so I can't purposely. Uh, uh, offend someone, they'll never, they'll never hear my proclamation. So how can I say this in a winsome way? All right, that's a challenge. But um, you know, uh, I'll tell you, a good public school teacher as a Christian knows how to do that because they have to. All right. Um, Okay, well, let's go ahead and go on. Uh, we'll end chapter chapter 10. Um, Thirty-one says, thirty-one, and, and the first part of chapter twelve or chapter eleven says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, or to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. I think this talks about what you're talking about, Paula. Um, just as I try to please uh, everyone in everything I do, um, not seeking my own advantage, but that 
of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Um, so Paul kind of extends the principle of thanksgiving to the entire Christian life. Uh, everything is to glorify God and is for benefit of, of our neighbor. Um, the, the, the believer's whole self is a, is offered to the Lord in a living sacrifice. So, um, what's, when, when Paul talks about, I don't want to give offense, he, he, he mentions three different groups. He mentions the Jews, he mentions the Greeks or the non-Jews, and then he mentions the church of God. And I think there, uh, he's saying, don't, first, don't do anything to alienate or not, you know, you want to be able to gain a hearing, I think is what he's talking about. The Jews or the Gentiles, you don't want to alienate them from words of salvation that you have to speak. So how can you put it in a way that they will listen to it? And the church of God, he mentions. And I think there he's probably talking about the weak Christian brothers who might be led into sin or something like that. Don't, don't do things that will offend or, or, or hurt their salvation. And so Paul holds himself up then as an example for everyone to follow. Um, Paul's mission was to be an apostle to the Gentiles and his sole purpose was to, uh, or was the salvation of others. Of course, not salvation that he works, but the salvation that he proclaims. And so Paul, if you will, imitates Christ so that others may know him and be saved. And so I think Paul kind of talks a little bit about what you're talking about there, Paula. And then he goes on uh, with verse two, two through Six and I notice that none of you women have your heads covered. <laughs> oh my! What are we going to do? Pardon? The church is still standing. Yeah, that's thanks to the termites. They actually Jim got rid of, so we don't have to worry about that. No. Two through two through six. Um, and we'll, we'll start this. I don't think we'll come to an end of it. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. All right. Well, we've been with the, with Paul and the Corinthians for a number of months, and we have realized that the Corinthians are far from perfect. Um, but Paul commends them for a number of things. He really does. And one of the things that Paul commends them for here is he commends them for faithfully keeping the traditions he handed down to them. Now, when I say traditions... He's not talking about what we normally think of as traditions, like having turkey on Thanksgiving or before you open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, we read the, the, the gospel account of, of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2. Um, he's not talking about those kinds of traditions. Um, that we have one service on Super Bowl Sunday. We don't, see, we don't do that. That's not our tradition. Uh, um, that's assuming that the Broncos are going to be in it. Okay. Um, um, traditions, what he's talking about here are doctrine. It's Christian doctrine. It's Christ's teaching. Uh, Paradidos is the Greek word. And it, it's what's handed down or what's handed over. And Paul often uses that word to describe um, the teaching of our Lord's words in contrast to what he would call mere human tradition. So when, when he says traditions here, what he means is the word of God that's been handed down to him. He handed to them, and they've handed it on. All right? Um, now, in the beginning, the traditions were oral traditions. All right? It was, it was, it was the gospel was, was proclaimed orally. And finally, somebody ended up writing it down. All right? But those oral traditions were very, very, um, 
valued highly and they were very carefully transmitted so that the oral tradition would be the same when I pass it to Victoria when it gets back there to Steve Lowndes at the back and we've whispered in everybody's ears you have been trained in sharing orally one with another so that what what Steve hears is the same thing that she said it's not like that telephone game that you do when you're sitting around a table and um, a couple beers kind of totally mess that game up um, so so and then of course the traditions were were uh, written down so Paul commends them for handing or holding on to the traditions and he encouraged them to continue to hold the traditions um, it's what he's getting at when uh, in in uh, chapter 11 he says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread all right. He delivered to them the tradition, the teaching that on the night when our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it. Okay. That's what he's talking about here. Um, so the important point Paul is making here is, is maintaining, maintaining a common apostolic tradition does matter. It does matter. Churches are not to wander off into do-it-yourself do it styles of, of uh, theology or, or, or doctrine or church polity. Pastors aren't to make things up on the fly. Um, and Paul has to mention this in this epistle because the Corinthians, they always had to be better than everybody else. They were the ones with all the bells and whistles. And so uh, they had to show that they were better than everyone else. So if you come up with good doctrine, I'm going to add a little bit of something to it. You know, just go, I've got more than you do, kind of thing. Um, no, he's saying, handing down the common apostolic tradition does matter. Now, he's, he's not against contextualizing the message, putting it into the vernacular, um, saying it in a way that the people can understand it. All right? He's not against that, but he subordinates it to faithfulness to the common apostolic tradition. You've got to remain faithful to that, which I think is one of the wonderful things uh, in, in the liturgy, taking just this little rabbit trail. If you think about our divine service that we did and we will do again at uh, 1030 this morning, um, what you hear the psalm read. In fact, you sing it together with the pastor. And then an elder reads to you the Old Testament lesson. And then the vicar reads to you the epistle lesson. This is all word of God. Psalms are the word of God. The Old Testament lesson is the word of God. The epistle lesson is the word of God. Then uh, the pastor reads the gospel, which is the word of God. And then we all join together in confessing the faith in one of the common creeds. This morning, the Nicene Creed. This is all, it all lines up. And the point is the pastor better line up there too. He better be confessing the common apostolic tradition and not be somewhere else. Because if all these things are over here and the pastor's over here, guess what's messed up? You're right, all of this. Pastor's just fine. No, no. Um, so that's one of the blessings about what we do. Um, it ties my hands to the, to the scriptures which protects you from me, which is really important. Um, so Paul commends them for their handing down the common apostolic traditions, the word of God that was once delivered to them. Um, and yet he has to call them to account on several things. The first thing he's got to talk to them is about head coverings. There are some people who are trying to make a point about whether, about, uh, and, and they're using head coverings or not to do that. Um, and then another thing, that's going to be uh, 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 the first part of chapter 11. And then the second part of chapter 11, he's going to talk to them about a lax attitude that they have toward the Lord's Supper. And then in chapter 12 through 14, he's going to talk to them about an unbalanced attitude towards spiritual gifts. Then in chapter 14, he's going to talk about the role of women in worship. And then in chapter 15, he's going to talk to them about their failure to understand the implications of Christ's resurrection. 
So he's got some big fish to fry in the next few chapters. Head coverings, Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, women in worship, and not understanding what's going on when it says Christ rose from the dead. Um, and God's only given him like seven pieces of paper to do it. So uh, um, uh, just a few you know, I'm going to I'm going to stop there because we're going to want to get into this the the whole picture of head covering. Um it's important. Paul is not a misogynist here. He's not a woman hater. Um uh he he's he's talking about what's going on in worship by women not covering their heads or by men covering their heads, which is also probably what was going on. All right, the Lord be with you. So, what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.